Hello and welcome to Pocket Therapist. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Moore, licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm going to teach you everything I've learned over the last 13 years as a therapist to help maximize the value you get out of your relationships. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pocket Therapist. So glad to have you back. Today I'm joined by Micah Ingalls, a friend and colleague who works with me at Utah Valley Counseling. Hello, Micah. How you doing? Good. How are you, Adam? I am doing so great. I'm pumped today to talk about this because today is really, I think, the first episode where we're diving into the clinical expertise of what we primarily do in our therapy office here. And I haven't mentioned it uh, much, if at all, on the podcast so far, but we mostly deal with pornography addiction, sex addiction type stuff in our office here. And uh, so... I'm starting to get some questions from people on social media asking things uh, related to this. And so I thought, Micah, you and I could sort of kick off this topic uh, by talking a little bit about metaphors today, something you shared with me that I thought would be a super cool idea for the podcast. So, But why don't we start by having you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do. Great. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work with uh, primarily sex addicts and the betrayed spouses and work with uh, betrayal trauma and do primarily work helping people heal. And it's uh, it's not easy work. <clears throat> Correct. At least, that, at least that's my experience. Maybe it's easy for you, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely hard work. It's uh, work that pushes you and pushes me to always be on my toes, ready yeah. for the next unique challenge that we're going to face with the next individual or couple that I'm working with. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it's I think it's important to note like sometimes people think, "Wow, you just do the same thing all day every day. That must be really boring." And I'm like, "No, it's like literally the exact opposite of boring because it's a really really challenging thing to to work with. Plus, everybody's so unique and different that even though it's the same thing, quote unquote, uh, it's so very different. I mean, is that your experience as well? That's actually exactly why I went into counseling and becoming a therapist was because I knew I would get bored doing the same thing every day. Right. You know, in my different jobs, growing up and so forth, I get so bored. And yes. I was actually an economics major during... Uh, college. I did not know that about you. And realized, you know, yeah, I can use these same principles and answer the same problems over and over. And it's just boring right. to sit there and work with numbers all day. And so I love the unique challenge of not knowing what the problem is or challenge or what that person is going to bring into mm -hmm. the office that day. Awesome. Well, we're here for the same reasons then, I think. So... Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about, I guess we should sort of briefly, broadly overview, you know, some people might be thinking sex addiction, what are you even talking about? Essentially, without going too deep into it, the idea is somebody ends up, usually starting at a younger age, they, they end up using sexual behaviors as a way to cope with emotional pain, distress, uh, you know, things they don't want to have to cope with in life. It's like a Band-Aid, and it eventually turns into something where they keep coming back to it. They decide they want to stop. It's causing problems in their life, 
Um, but despite all their best efforts, they continue to return to it. It's this cycler pattern. And that's what a lot of us in the business uh, will call an addiction, even though there's a lot, there's a, you know, it's a hotly debated topic, the, the whole definition of addiction. But we're not even going to touch that today with a 10-foot pole. What I'm interested in is for somebody who's just, you know, getting into this idea of, hey, maybe this is a problem I have to deal with, or I've got a family member, child, spouse, whatever it may be that's dealing with it. Um, it it's completely overwhelming for people. They don't know what to do about it. Most people think, well, just stop. Or they think, um, you know, maybe let's reward you or, you know, create some kind of scary punishment if you do it again, and maybe everything will get better. And it, it doesn't work like that. And so, there, as you were sharing some ideas with me, as far as the metaphor goes, I thought this was a good way to help introduce people to the concept of what recovery from addiction looks like and what that looks like in different situations. So if you will, just jump in with your, uh, your ideas and let's get going. Absolutely. I find that a good analogy helps people to understand and relate to things that even if they're not an expert in the analogy that it can help just make more sense of what we're really striving to do here. And, you know, a lot of times when people walk into my office, they, they're they lost, confused, not sure exactly where they need to go and what needs to happen. They just see this overwhelming problem but have no idea what to do with it. Right. And we turn to them and say, oh, we don't, but some people turn to them and say, just stop, you know? Right. Just, just stop. Be stronger. Figure it out. And just decide you're not going to do it again. Right. right. You know, just decide it's never going to happen again. And That's uh, like me and Oreos. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to happen, people. <laughs> or it's like taking a pile of, you know, fly fishing gear, throwing it in someone's lap and saying, here, go catch a fish, you know? Right. Figure out how to just do this and... You know, I love our office because we have this beautiful river that flows right behind the office space here. So I'm mm -hmm. thinking about fishing all day long. It's great. <laughs> but um, how often do you get to fish right by the office here? Oh, not that often anymore. Not but as often as you'd like. Last summer, I uh, was able to fish back there, you know, close to weekly. Oh, sometimes sweet. a couple times a week. And uh, there's a nice little bridge under there and right under the bridge i've caught several beautiful brown trout out of there right behind the office here so it's great and you mentioned fly fishing and when i see people fly when i first saw a guy fly fishing the first time in my life i thought man just cast that thing in there and, and just let it go dude like why why are you trying so hard <laughs> i didn't understand the difference <laughs> between normal fishing and fly fishing i thought this guy is crazy he's like trying to get the perfect cast and it's just not working out for him there's something fundamentally different about fly fishing versus quote-unquote regular fishing there is there are a few fundamental differences one of the fundamental differences with fly fishing is that um really it's all about presentation of the fly and so getting that perfect cast where he's able to um, land that fly right above where he knows where the fish is, where the fish are mm -hmm. and to let it just float right down the river, you know, to land it exactly there. So the fish will believe that, you know, it's a fly or some form of bug floating down the river is critical. Because I, I mean, and maybe... 
people don't understand how smart fish apparently are. <laughs> is, is it true that a fish is going to look and go, that's, that's not a fly, man. That I mean, what, oh, what's going on with fish? Right. You know, if your fly is halfway tilted in the water and, you know, rolling down the stream, that's not how flies look. So they're not going to have a chance of striking at that as opposed to, you know, something that casts the right shadow and that the fish can see looks like a fly that's going to work out a lot better. It's amazing to me the survival instincts of animals and fish that the fish somehow intuitively know if it doesn't look and act like an actual fly, I should probably stay away from it. That's right. It, that blows yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, and occasionally you might get a dumb fish and you get lucky, but for right. the most part, if you're standing out there just waving this large stick around in your hand, pretending like you know what you're doing, you're not going to catch anything. And uh, that's and, how I was. I bet you dumb fish t don't taste as good as um, smart fish. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, the feeling of victory is totally different. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, a false... Uh, a false hooking of the fish or where you hook it in the gill instead of in the mouth because you just got lucky. That's not really a whole lot of fun. Yeah. But, you know, if we're out there and the emphasis is all about just trying to catch a fish instead of learning how to fish. Right. Right. Well, then we're out there with the wrong mentality and it's going to be real easy to get upset real fast. So and what the heck does this have to do? With sex addiction recovery, I want to know what's the what's the because I actually have no idea. I'm I'm actually kind of excited. I I you sent me an email with the idea, and I thought that sounds amazing, but my memory is terrible, so I've since completely forgotten it. So this is as new for me as it is for everyone listening right now. Great. Well, in my mind, what this has to do with sex addiction and not really sex addiction, but recovery from mm -hmm. sex addiction is that as we look out on the river right behind us and see people out there fishing and think, oh, wow, to the average person, it looks like they're all just doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. If I go out there and stand in the water and wave this rod around like they're doing, then I'm sure I will have the exact same success that they're having. Mm. Totally. Okay. That's like me and golfing. Yeah. I'm like, well, they seem to be swinging their arms, so <laughs> I, I'm sure I'll be hitting it 400 yards here with my first <laughs> whack at it, right? Exactly. And with the men and women I work with in sex addiction recovery work, I find that a lot of them are like that. They're standing there in the water, but they're up to their necks almost feeling like they're drowning. Right. And trying to master this craft when all their lives they've been told to just figure it out. Just do it, you know? Man up. Figure out how to solve your problems. Right. Overcome and it. No one's ever slowed down to really help them learn what that looks and feels like. Which is interesting because it sort of, it this, not sort of, this absolutely implies that Sex addiction recovery, which is you know really similar to drug addiction recovery or gambling addiction recovery or whatever it may be, is a skill set 
that you have to work on. You don't just get to wake up and decide, I think I'm going to do recovery now. And then it just magically happens. It's actually something you have to work on. Exactly. It's absolutely a skill set that is practiced, that is developed over time, that doesn't just happen because you pulled out a book and read for two hours a day for whatever, however long. You know, it's something that you <clears throat> have to experience and learn to understand what it feels like mm -hmm. to engage in recovery and how that recovery mindset feels mm -hmm. as opposed to just standing there waving a stick around trying to pretend like you know what you're doing right so um let's talk a little bit about and and i assume that we'll sort of carry the metaphor as we're going here yep. but let's let's talk about what should what would a person be so if if they can't expect to just walk up and go here i am and they figure it out what can they expect simultaneously in a, in a fly fishing? I've never been fly fishing. One day you're going to have to take me so I can look dumb in front of you. It'll be great. Uh, but in a fly fishing experience and in a recovery experience, what can people expect in the beginning so that they don't feel disheartened when it doesn't go as expected or as their brain thought it was supposed to go, right? Yeah. You can expect that your experience won't be like the person who's standing right next to you who's been at this for two, three, four years. You know, mm -hmm. if you're attending a great 12-step support group where you've got a good range of individuals in recovery who are just beginning recovery and who've been in recovery for 5, 10, 15 years, you know, your experience with recovery won't look like that sponsor sitting next to you who's 5 or 10 years into his recovery. And I want to pause there real quick because this is super important because – when people first start recovery and they get into a 12-step meeting and they get a sponsor, you know, that sponsor is generally the the first person and sometimes the only person that they turn to to know what recovery should look like. And so it would be super easy for a person to expect that their recovery would look like their sponsor's recovery. And in fact, sometimes you hear sponsors who are maybe a bit overzealous, who are telling the person, now you need to do this, now you need to do this, and this is the next step, and this is what you should experience. Whereas it's in traditional 12-step, it's more like the sponsor says, this is what happened for me, this is what it's been like for me, uh, rather than ordering people around. But So people should expect to actually have a different experience than their sponsor, at least where their sponsor's at today, compared to uh, what, what they're experiencing today, as opposed to walking in and thinking that it should look like where their sponsor's at. Right. I mean, if I'm standing behind you as I'm teaching you how to fly fish and I'm saying, elbow up, longer cast, focus on the target point, you know, angle your body 25 degrees further. Look at that riffle there. Try to land it right above that riffle. You're going to be so overwhelmed by all this information. I'm already feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> We're sitting in a room right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, how in the world are you going to have any success with sobriety? Right. And if we correlate sobriety to catching a fish, mm -hmm. right, you know, the first little bit of learning how to master the craft of recovery, it's going to take some time before that sobriety occurs right. in an extended, sustainable way. Right. And so it's about developing the tools for that sobriety to be long lasting. And if all we're focused on is I haven't caught a fish yet. Right. 
The it's outcome. so easy to get upset and frustrated and quit before you ever experience the joy of fly fishing and the joy of recovery going beyond just sobriety. And it seems to me that in a fishing context that if you were to instantly catch as many fish as you wanted, it probably would actually be pretty boring and an uninteresting thing. Part of the fun, if you will, of fishing, uh, and for me, golfing, is the fact that it's extremely difficult and it's you don't get the expected results as nearly as often as you want. And so when you do, it feels that much more satisfying. Absolutely. I mean, there's a time of year here where if you go down to the lake and throw just a shiny hook in, white bass are going to strike that shiny hook and you don't have to do any work. And people <laughs> walk away with five-gallon buckets full of fish and it's boring. Right. There's no fun in that. Right. Right. There's no fun in not having a challenge. And no, I'm not saying addiction recovery is fun or some <laughs> exciting thing that Yay! you get to do. <laughs> but the the challenge and learning to understand it, learning how to connect with yourself through this process mm -hmm. is part of the reward of healing, part of the healing journey and experience. It may not be fun, but it should be at least satisfying when somebody really sort of knocks it out of the park. Like, man, normally under this circumstance, I would have totally blown it. But I used the things that I learned and I was self-aware and I realized what was going on. And I, and I, you know, switched, shifted gears way before I normally would have. And I came out okay. That should be a very satisfying experience rather than like, oops, I accidentally have been sober for three months because I've been too busy to think about acting out, you know, kind of thing. Right. You know, and too busy to think about acting out. That's like, you know, standing there in the river and fish just show up. Yeah. They just, just jump in the net. What's up? I just would like to be eaten today, please. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Wow. Apparently I'm a fisherman now. Like, not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so really fly fishing then is about developing the techniques, developing the skills to present the fly as best as possible mm -hmm. for the fish to then be attracted to what is reality, you know, and that's what recovery is all about, learning to connect with your reality instead of this false perceived reality that you have created because for so long you've shoved down the emotions and haven't wanted to feel and therefore have preve prevented yourself from connecting with reality and what's really going on. Or even, you know, for some people, they a lot of guys don't, or even the ladies who are doing their own recovery, they, they don't know that they're shoving down reality. They've, they're so used to doing it. They've been doing it for so long that they're not sitting here thinking, oh, I don't want to deal with reality. It's too hard. They're just sitting there thinking, I'm just trying to survive. And this is all I know how to do. <clears throat> staying, uh, staying unplugged from pain and any of that really is, is their perceived reality. And so for a lot of people to open their eyes to the fact that they have other experiences, feelings, they, they should be paying attention to other things is like being unplugged from the matrix. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this universe even existed. I thought this was all there was. It's really eye-opening for a lot of people. And so where some people are intentionally trying to disconnect, a lot of people just don't know there's another option. 
Yeah. Right. And to go out and not know what options exist out there and be living in <clears throat> a one dimensional reality right. and not realize that there are many alternative options and there's support and help out there to see and learn a better way to do this. Yeah, that's what this is all about, you know, and that's the relief, the freedom that people experience and feel as they work their recovery. I think that's an important word, you know, freedom, because some people that we work with start feeling um, quite managed and controlled in the early days of recovery because they feel like, Oh, now I, now I can't use social media because it's too dangerous for me. Or now, now I have to, I have to go to a meeting every week or I have to go to therapy or whatever. And so some people start off feeling rather restricted because they're used to quote unquote doing whatever they want whenever they want, uh, except the idea that they actually can't stop doing the sexual behaviors or looking at pornography or whatever the issue is. Um, so there's a, Maybe there's a perceived loss of freedom in the beginning, but it's interesting to watch people as they start to shift into a different mindset, like you're talking about, um, that they realize, oh, wow, I was really mentally, emotionally enslaved to this addiction and to the behaviors I had to do to keep it safe, to protect it from other people stopping me from doing it, and myself from feeling pain, that suddenly, again, this whole new world of uh, of experiencing and feeling and, and living opens up that they didn't know was there. So that's kind of maybe part of the fun part of our job and maybe the fun part of teaching someone to fly fish is you thought somebody was on the shore just swinging this thing around looking like an idiot and, you know, being disappointed that they were regularly, you know, not catching anything. But what you didn't realize was that there is something absolutely beautiful you were totally unaware of and now you know. And that opens up a, a new way of finding joy and enjoyment in life. And the same with recovery you know, you can live in a totally new way in relation to yourself and others that you didn't know was there or existed or was you were able to do before. And suddenly, wow, you're free to enjoy life totally in totally new ways, you know? Absolutely. And sure, you could look at me as I'm trying to teach you how to fly fish and how to cast and stuff. And you could say, no, I don't want to do it that way. Right. And I'll say, okay, fine, but you're not going to have much success. Have a great time. <laughs> okay. And that's going to feel very limiting because you'll stand there and struggle and not really have the success that you're hoping for. Right. But, you know, if you'll follow some techniques and learn to get in touch with your body and the moment, feeling the momentum of the line as you cast it forward and back to get it out far enough to land it where the fish are. It opens up so many more doors. Mm -hmm. And then as we go beyond that to see what else is out there, to learn how to read the water and how it's flowing so we can identify where the fish are, to learn how to read the bugs or understand their different hatches and what time of day it is, what time of year, you're all of a sudden seeing so much more than having this hyper focus on, I want to catch a fish, mm. right? And you're seeing so much more of how it all works together to allow you the opportunity to catch fish and to adapt or fine tune what you're doing to have the success that you want to have in that unique moment and the unique experience of that time on the river. Which is, you know, 
I think helpful for people who are in early recovery, like you said, because they're so focused on the outcome. I just want to make sure that I don't relapse back into my addiction that everything in the process feels like it's annoying and getting in the way of the outcome or I got to figure out the exact right, the one technique, the one tool that I need so that I can get the outcome I'm expecting. Um, and then they're frustrated when the outcome doesn't go as expected, as opposed to the person that says, I'm just here to learn about myself and to, no matter what happens, if I feel like I've failed or if I relapse or whatever, that I can just look at it and go, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow. And so even if it feels disappointing, it's not like a total loss. So I could go out fly fishing as an example, going back to the metaphor, never catch a fish, but still really enjoy the experience because uh, I've gotten to be in nature. I'm learning things about myself. I'm learning things about the environment. I'm mastering a skill set and not catching a fish won't ruin the experience. Exactly. And each time you go out and practice the skill set, it's an opportunity to develop it more fully, to understand it better, regardless of whether you're catching a fish or not in that moment. And so often as I share new skills or work on helping someone to fine-tune the craft of recovery, I get that resistance from them. But but this is different than what someone else is telling me over here to do. Or, you know, just give me the silver bullet. Give me the magical pill yeah. that's going to solve the problem immediately. Right. Right? And that's just not how it works. And I've seen that out on the river as I've taught some of my brothers-in-law how to fly fish. And they're like, but just give me the right fly on my line and then I'll catch something better. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's about presentation and learning to present that instead of having this magical fly on there that catches fish every time it's cast. The magic fly. I'm sensing a children's book here about fly fishing. In the <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out there needs to write this. The magic fly. And just throw me, throw me in the little... Uh, the little, uh, what's the thing at the beginning of the book uh, where you thank people? Acknowledgements. <laughs> the acknowledgements. Just t- toss me in there. That'd be great. I'd love that. Okay. So now that we've got the metaphor working and it's making sense to people and they're realizing this is at least as much about process as it is about outcome. Certainly outcome is important. If you're in process forever, but you're still acting out, you know, in your sexual addiction every other day, the process is probably not working very well. So you know, you may need to adjust that and, and we would expect some results. You know, if we said to people in therapy, you probably, your behaviors probably won't change, but you'll be really self-aware about it. <laughs> That's not worth much money. I don't had <laughs> time and whatnot. So let's talk. And again, it's going to be different for everybody, but maybe you can share some of the tools or techniques that are working for some people that, that you're working with and uh, what, why they work, what, what they're doing for helping people get into recovery. Absolutely. One of the most powerful tools that I see or one of the fundamental tools that I like to introduce to those that I work with is the skill of self-awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and developing that ability to mindfully be aware of what they're experiencing inside of themselves and what they're experiencing around themselves as well. 
Now, uh, for some people who are listening, they might be thinking, okay, so what does that mean? Like, what's the practical application of self-awareness? How is that going to help me not fall back into my, you know, sexual compulsive sexual behaviors? Sure. The practical application of self-awareness ties into the very core of where addiction comes from. If addiction is a repetitive pattern that someone is unable to stop, that is part of maladaptive coping, right? They're just trying to feel better and they don't know how else to do it, right? Right. You know, unable to cope with the struggle, the stress, the pain of life. And each time they go and act out and therefore numb out that pain and stress, they are creating more and more disconnection from themselves. So self-awareness is targeting the very core of addiction work, and that is allowing them to undo the effects of the addictive pattern over the years. So let's say they're plugging along through their day, and they're at work, and their boss comes in and is like, Hey, uh, thanks for finishing that report on time, but it's all wrong. You have all the wrong data. Everything's wrong. I just look like an idiot in my meeting with the board of directors. Uh, you know, maybe you should try paying attention next time. Right. And, and hopefully somebody is, who's listening to this is actually having a, I'm not hoping they'll have a, an emotional response to it, but hopefully they'll recognize that even me saying that in a relatively nice way on a podcast can trigger people's defense mechanisms and fear and anxiety because we all know the feeling of being in trouble and having done something wrong. What does self-awareness do for that person in their office at work who now might be tempted to pull their phone out and start skimming news articles, which would eventually trans- transition them into pornography use, or just pull their phone out and go straight to you know, a, a porn site or something because they can't deal with that feeling. What, how does self-awareness help in that situation? It helps them get out of the survival mode of life that mm. they've lived in and slows down the process to the point where they're able to respond to what they're experiencing instead of just reacting mm. okay. and learning to engage with that pain engage with life instead of just reacting saying i hate this pain i don't want to deal with it i'm going to go numb out mm-hmm. and escape from it so if the person's sitting at their desk and they the, the, they're self-aware enough to be like i'm feeling um angry sad afraid disappointed and ashamed like let's say they get to that point and they can they can name all those which is quite a skill set for people you know that's 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 a ways into recovery but let's say they're to that point what does that awareness then do what do they do with it that turns into them staying sober for the rest of the day and healthy in the face of all the pain so i imagine that someone feeling sad angry disappointed fearful i imagine they're also probably feeling pretty lonely mm. in that moment and pretty isolated and as they have slowed down to connect with themselves in that moment and identify what's going on for them it really opens up a door and is a great opportunity for them to reach out to another person 
and ask for that support and engage in that connection that helps us process through those emotions, right? Emotions serve a tremendous purpose in life. They help give meaning to all our experiences and give meaning to relationships. And if we can turn towards a sponsor or a spouse or just a trusted friend and Mm -hmm. be able to share that emotional pain with them, then the emotions don't have the control anymore. They're not ruling our lives. We're able to connect with another person and say, hey, this is hard. And they're able to say back to us, you're right. Your reality right now is hard. That is valid. Mm. Instead of the emotion saying, yeah, you're awful, no good, horrible, terrible person, and you're not worth connecting with. Right. So it shifts the emotional experience when it's a shared emotional experience and somebody from outside, an outside perspective, can say something or just be present that helps the emotion shift or turn uh, or at least be tolerable, right? It's it's easier to tolerate pain when, I think most people feel like it's easier to tolerate pain when someone is with us, when someone's by our side. When we're completely alone, there's something about that that's extremely difficult to, to cope with. And that's one of the big mistakes that people who are not in recovery make is they try to manage it all on their own without any help from anybody and they're totally isolated, and that isolation is just like killing them. It's killing their their soul. It's killing their you know their ability to cope because we were just as human beings, we're just not meant to be alone. And it it leads me to think about one other principle we'll briefly talk about uh, as we're getting ready to finish up this episode, and that is accountability. So first is that is that self awareness that then leads people, especially in early recovery, to say, I can't do this on my own. I need to draw somebody else in for help. And then the accountability component, which says, um, I need to, I need you to be present for me, not just in this moment here, but throughout the rest of the day so that I can come back to you and be accountable for what I did with our conversation, what I did with the feelings, what I did, uh, with whatever commitments I made so that I could, you know, manage sobriety for the rest of the day. So this person at their, at their office might say, you know what, it's dangerous for me to be here right now alone. So I'm going to go and work in the break room for a little while because it's better if I'm in a public space, not just because it limits access to say pornography or something, but because it feels less isolating. So they might make that decision or they might say, you know what, I'm going to shift gears and do something that I know I'm really good at it and that I'm good at at work and I'm successful at um, so that I feel that sense of effectiveness coming back into my life when I just got totally reamed for something that maybe is not my forte or whatever it is. It's not part of my job description that I, I wish I had, but I have to do it. And, and I, you know, yes, I do understand I'm not as good at it, at it as I might otherwise be or somebody else's. So making decisions and then being able to come back and say, here's what I did with it. Most people, when they talk about accountability, the mistake they make is they say, accountability is, did you quote unquote, mess up or not? Did you relapse? Did you act out again? And to me, accountability is more proactive and vigilant at the same time. It's more like, what decisions did you make to stay healthy for the rest of the afternoon and to manage the emotion and to protect yourself uh, from relapse? And what decisions are you going to, you know, make throughout the rest of the day to not just keep yourself from relapsing, but to have an effective, you know, day where you feel like you're doing something that matters that type of accountability is way more effective and efficient than just um, did I blow it or did I succeed 
kind of thing. And I, I'm sure you've seen that with clients where that, that type of accountability is where people usually start in recovery. They've got somebody they account to every night. I, I succeeded or I failed. Right. And that just doesn't, that does nothing for people. Cause at, at best it's like just a report of how well the day went, which is not helpful for long-term recovery. And it just gets them out of the recovery mindset and keeps them focused on the outcome instead of allowing them to focus on the process and seeing the growth that they've experienced that day, even if it was still a hard day. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, we're going to have to do this again and we're going to, we'll have to come back and cover more tips and you can, uh, if, if I've, if somehow I've fly fished with Micah before we, we chat next, I'll tell you what my experience was like, <laughs> how it went. But, uh, anyway, thank you so much. It's uh, been great. And thanks uh, so much to everybody who continues to tune in and to listen to these episodes. And as always, please feel free to like subscribe, give us a review, uh, on the various uh, podcast platforms so that, uh, other people can find us and, uh, and get the help that they're looking for. Thanks so much. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time.